invite you to remain standing out of confidence that God does indeed speak to us His words of life in His Holy Word and turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. If you don't happen to have a Bible, it will be useful to have one open in front of you as we study God's Word together. So you can grab one of the Bibles that should be in a chair back near you and turn to page 863. It was about four weeks ago that our studies through Luke's Gospel came to what is known as the Sermon on the Plain, Jesus' famous sermon in this chapter. And we finally have reached the end of this long sermon this morning as we want to look at verses 43 through 49 together. And it's been a sermon that Jesus has used to talk about true life in His kingdom. It's turned all expectation of what kingdom discipleship looks like. It's turned it all upside down as He's told us repeatedly that to bow before Him is to embrace His reversal of the world's values and priorities, truths that will be on display once again in our text this morning. So let me go ahead and read what we will soon study and then pray briefly for God to bless our time together and then we will begin. So let us hear now as God speaks to us through His Word. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person, out of the good treasure of his heart, produces good. The evil person, out of the evil treasure, produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord? And do not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. Now, Redeemer Church, what do we know about God's Word? The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the Word of the Lord stands forever. Let us pray once again. Father, we thank You that Your Word indeed is true, that it is living and active, that it accomplishes the purpose for which You send it. We pray by Your Spirit You would send it among us now as the Spirit opens our eyes to behold wondrous things from this Word. Help us to Have our hearts opened as well that we might not only observe the truth of our Lord's teaching, but keep it with our whole hearts. So help us to hear with urgency this morning. Help us to hear with eagerness as you speak to us for me to preach as I ought, clearly, faithfully, and boldly as a dying man unto dying people. Help us to hear as though this sermon might even be our last. And Lord, we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I'm sure for many of you, when July 4th rolls around this year, you'll conclude the day's holiday festivities by taking in fireworks somewhere. And I'm equally sure for most of you, if you've ever been to a fireworks extravaganza, the greatest part of that event is the grand finale at the end. 
And what you need to know about Jesus' sermon that we've been looking at for the last few weeks is it's full of theological and spiritual fireworks. He has just been lobbing them, if you will, at the disciples. They're listening on this plain near a mountainside, these truth-filled statements that seem to explode all manifestations of or all ideas of the kingdom's manifestation that was expected at that time. Because consider just a few of the ones that we've noticed in recent weeks. These fireworks of truth that Jesus has offered. Verse 22 of Luke 6 says, Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. A few weeks ago, we also noticed verse 27 and 28, where he said, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. And bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. Even last week, he said, judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. And what we come to in our text this morning is, in a very real way, the grand finale of Jesus' sermon. And I wonder if your experience of fireworks shows is not unlike my own, especially if you might be a little bit older. I remember the days of old when, as a young child, we would often ring in July 4th with fireworks shows at the end of the day, and it was the most exciting part of the summer in some ways for me. But now as an older adult that has seen fireworks many, many times, they have lost much of its childlike wonder. They cease to strike me with awe. Once you've seen a bunch, you've seen them all is what it often feels like. Even so much so that it just seems altogether boring and basic if we go see a fireworks show these days. And I think the same thing can be true when we come to a text like our own this morning. For many of you in here, you know this text very well. Even you can sing Sunday school songs based on the scripture before us this morning. And so the question that even confronts us right from the outset is will you find this truth compelling, attention-grabbing, or is it just altogether familiar, quite basic, maybe even boring moralism from a good teacher named Jesus? Well, he means for us, doesn't he, to hear it, but we're going to see in our text this morning that Jesus is not interested in merely hearing what he has to say but his disciples, his kingdom followers, doing what he has to say. Because what he's going to tell us is it's not liturgies, it's not programs, it's not buildings that will convince the world that we're indeed called to be his people. It's not just lives changed, but it's lives that are bearing fruit on the good foundation of Jesus Christ that bears witness to the fact that we are indeed his followers. So students, if you wanted to summarize these two sections of Jesus' sermon before us this morning, you might simply say, what you do reveals who you are. Jesus is simply trying to tell his original hearers, what you do shows who you really are. And so it comes to us in two different parts. First, we want to notice his call to bear good fruit in verse 43 through 45. And then we'll notice his call to build on the good foundation in verse 46 through 49. But you need to understand where we are in the sweep of his sermon to understand why what Jesus is about ready to tell us might be altogether radical and shocking, especially to those of us in the 21st century Western world. Because do you remember what we talked about last week? Ruling Elder Lee Hall walked through the section that talks about not judging one another. And what you need to know is our text this morning starts off by telling you how to judge. 
So it seems as though Jesus might be speaking out of both sides of his mouth. How to examine and evaluate is what he's after this morning in the initial part of our text. So look where we left off last week in verse 42 to kind of get what Jesus is after. He says, you hypocrite, first take out the log of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take out the speck that is in your brother's eye. So what he's saying is what happens with his followers when they have honestly and with humility dealt with their own sin? He's going to say, well, judge others. Examine others in true Christian humility. That's even interesting to me that Matthew's account of the Sermon on the Mount in the parallel passage has verse 43 through 45 in our text uniquely directed to how you can evaluate false teachers. But Luke seems to broaden it out to simply ask how can you evaluate the profession and confession of faith in, in other people? Once you've done it honestly and with humility, what does it look like for you to assess and evaluate others? Well, notice what he says as he begins to call us to bear good fruit. Verse 43. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. So simply what he's saying there, you assess on the quality of fruit. It's so simple, isn't it? That's why it's so famous. A good tree has good fruit. A bad tree has bad fruit. But he not only focuses on the quality of fruit, he focuses on the kind of fruit. Because look at verse 44 as he continues. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The quality of fruit, the kind of fruit, shows the nature of the tree. So kids, think about it. If you were to walk out of this room later on this morning, and you pass one of the trees that are outside, and you see oranges growing on the tree, won't you naturally begin to assume it's an apple tree? You won't, right? You'll think, no, it's an, it's an orange tree. The fruit shows the nature of the tree. In the same way, a person's spiritual fruit reveals who he or she truly is. But lest we think that Jesus has an idea here of just mere moral acts, notice he's pointing to something deeper, isn't he, in verse 45? The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. The evil person out of his evil treasure produces evil. What you do reveals your heart's treasure. And so if we take Jesus' instruction rightly from the previous passage, we need to honestly and with humility assess our own heart's treasure. As we examine ourselves, sometimes it's great to invite a trusted friend or family member into these kind of conversations. If you examine my own life, friend or family member, what would you say is true about what I'm doing as it reveals my heart's true treasure? How can you even begin to do that honestly and, and faithfully? I have a friend, some of you might have friends like this, that's something of a movie buff, and so he's very particular in where he goes to see new releases. He only goes to particular theaters to see films that come out that he wants to enjoy. And he's not interested in the seats. He's not interested in the screen. He's interested in the sound system uh, that's going to be 
playing along with this movie, what's going to project this movie to his ears. Because you know the difference, don't you? A good sound system has the power to make the movie experience altogether more clear, altogether more powerful, altogether more even evident to your senses. And what Jesus is about to say is that the mouth is the sound system of the heart. It's out of the overflow of the soul that the mouth speaks. So you want to know what's really in the heart? Just listen to what comes out of the mouth. Notice how verse 45 ends. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So do you see how Jesus is kind of moving from a broader category of of doing with spiritual fruit, and he's making it even more specific to what you say. You know, I have had something of a lifelong engagement with my own mouth and tongue, and what I mean by that is I've never been happy with what it seems to say. (laughs) Sometimes it's lack of clarity in preaching, but more often than not, like yesterday, I'll say something to one of the kids out of frustration and be upset later on the day that it wasn't laced with gentleness or with compassion. So I often pray, Lord, sanctify my heart so my, my tongue might be sanctified. So I've been on this kind of five, six-year-long project of studying everything the Bible has to say related to the mouth, trying to observe what's true in those people that I come across that tend to have unusually gracious, life-giving tongues as they speak to one another. And as I've kind of smashed all of those studies together, I think I'm on pretty firm ground to say a few things are ordinarily true about the relationship between one's heart and one's mouth. That a cynical heart you can often hear in a sarcastic tongue. A bitter heart you can often hear in a biting tongue. A covetous heart you can often hear in a critical tongue. But positively, a gracious heart is a good tongue. A kind heart is a compassionate tongue. Even a hopeful heart tends to be also helpful to those that are in need. Do you see the correlation that Jesus makes here with bearing good fruit? It's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. You will know who a person truly is, not just by what they do, but also by what they say. And he's going to go on now to tell us not just to bear good fruit, but to build on a good foundation. Because it's possible, depending on how you read the preceding sections, that what Jesus may have had uniquely in mind, and Elder Hall was even talking about this some last week, were certain patterns that were true of the Pharisees at this time in Israel. So consider what could have been going on there on that mountainside as Jesus would have been preaching this sermon. You've got these crowds that are thronged around him, eager to hear his words. They're astonished at his teaching. And they kind of see the underlying audience that he's initially addressing, these Pharisees and religious leaders. So they begin to look around and nod. That's true. Maybe say amen. Or maybe as we're often prone to do, start to look out in the crowd and see if the person that really needs to hear that sermon is actually present. And so what Jesus does, do you see now in verse 46? He puts a direct volley to his disciples. He's speaking, if he wasn't already, he's speaking directly to those that are hearing him. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Notice verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? Lord, Lord would have been an affectionate way of speaking of a master or someone in authority. And Jesus' point is recognizing one's authority demands a response of obedience. 
To truly recognize someone has authority means you ought to respond in obedience to what that authority has to say. It, it's, it's as illogical to say, well, I respect your authority, Lord, but I'm not going to do anything that you actually say that I should be doing, as it would be like one of my kids saying, Daddy, Daddy, but never doing anything that I command them to do. In what meaningful way would you be able to say that they are actually a child of mine, or am I indeed a father of them? And so what Jesus begins now to do is locate for us, and even for the original hearers, real specific points of interest for what it means to truly follow Jesus Christ. So maybe you're in here this morning, and you wouldn't say you're a Christian, but you're somewhat interested in Christianity. You know, you give attention to it or eager to learn more about it, why so many people around the world seem to devote themselves to its truth. And maybe you've heard Christians often talk about being a disciple or use this bigger word, discipleship, and wondered what's that all about? Well, Jesus in verse 47 gives us three verbs that I want to argue summarize the essence of true Christian discipleship. Do you notice what he says in verse 47? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them. This in so many ways is a summary of what it means to truly follow Jesus Christ. True disciples come to Jesus in faith. That's what he's talking about there. Coming to him in repentance and belief, which ought to lead all of us to ask the question, are we believing? Am I believing and repenting in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, just as the dawning of the sun announces the beginning of a new day, so does belief in Jesus coming to him in faith announce the beginning of a new life, a new disciple. It begins with hearing his word, coming to him. That's to continue that way. We continually come to the Lord Jesus Christ. So number two, true disciples hear Jesus' words. True Christians are word-centered people. True churches are word-centered churches. Have you ever noticed that the Bible never tells us what Jesus looked like? We have nothing in the Gospels that points to anything about his appearance. It seems to say what he looked like doesn't matter. What matters is what he said. Because it's hearing his word that you find the words of life. So then do you devote yourself to hearing the word of our Lord? Of course, reading it, meditating on it. Devoting yourself to the gathered worship of the local church on the Lord's Day is the ordinary way that God means for you to hear his word as it's read and preached for faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing the word of Christ. So true disciples keep on coming to Jesus in faith, keep on hearing his word, and then thirdly, they keep on doing his will. They keep on doing his will. It is important what we do. That's why James says later on in the New Testament, a faith without works, a faith without fruit, a faith without deeds is a dead faith. It's a pointless faith. It's an empty faith. True disciples are always going to be growing in deeds of righteousness, fruits of the Spirit. And so to illustrate the importance of these things, notice what Jesus does with this famous analogy or metaphor in the last two verses of our text. He gives these images. Notice, a true disciple, according to verse 48, is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when the flood arose, the stream broke against that house, 
and could not shake it because it had been well built. So there's the strong foundation of a true disciple. But a hypocrite or a false disciple, verse 48, is like one who hears but does not do Christ's word. It's like a man who has built a house on the ground without a foundation, and when the stream broke against it, immediately it fell. And the ruin of that house was great. Now what you may not know at this time, in the geographical area where Jesus was teaching, you know, people would build houses, of course, but they only did it really in one of two ways. There was the hard way of digging down to the rock, or there was the easy way of kind of putting it on this hardened sand that would often get hard as the summer heat would kind of bake it together. But then inevitably what would happen in this area of the world, there'd be winter storms that would often bring these winter floods, and then it would just erode away that foundation, so it was in the midst of that storm that the house would eventually give way and cease to practically exist. And Jesus says our faith can be the exact same way depending on which foundation it is truly resting on. And kids, I want you to notice what Jesus said about the kind of foundation we ought to have. Of course, it's on the strong foundation, but do you see how, how we get down there? He says, you dig deep. It's a man, like a man who has dug down deep. I want you to know, kids, if you don't know this already, so we've said true Christians are word-centered people. Word work is hard work. Maybe, maybe you've gone into your backyard before. My kids have done this before. Taking a shovel out of the shed and began to do their own kind of digging work in the backyard. And they never make it very long because, of course, they realize it's hard work. I mean, they probably get seven inches down into the ground before I notice what they're doing and have to come out there and tell they're going to break a sprinkler line and destroy daddy's good grass. <laughs> Try going seven feet down in wet soil. It's really hard, isn't it? Try doing that into rock. It's even much harder. But it's the kind of work that our Lord calls us to in his word, a, a work that digs deep into its truth. Because I want to even admit that knowing the word of Jesus Christ is exhausting work at times, and it should be, because the unsearchable riches of Christ are inexhaustible. You can't stop, you know, you'll never reach the bottom of the truth of the word of our God. So it's, it's digging deep that he requires. But students, I want you to also notice in Jesus' kind of illustration that he uses at the end of this chapter, he doesn't tell us that if you just looked at these two houses that were built, that there's anything about the houses that seem different. They look the same. It's only the foundation that will show which house is really different. And what is it that reveals the foundation? A storm. Uh, you, you need to learn the lesson well, and it's always a good one to think about. It's a point of wisdom, that it's only in disruption and difficulty that the true foundation of a person's life shows itself. And of course, even isn't that helpful for us as a church, even for us as we lead one another and shepherd one another? It's in situations of hurt, situations of hardship, that the strength of that foundation shows up. And do you know that the foundation of Jesus Christ is one that is strong? Do you know it is one that is sweet, on which you can rest every part of your life? One of the most famous Scottish preachers in the early 20th century was a man named Arthur John Gossip. And on a Saturday morning in 1927, his wife, tragically and unexpectedly, passed away. 
So the next morning at Beach Grove Church in Aberdeen, he rose to the pulpit to preach a sermon 24 hours after his wife had died. And it was a sermon entitled, When Life Tumbles In, What Then? And so he just began this extended meditation on the goodness of God in the midst of hardship, calamity, and suffering. And here's where he ended. A word of comfort and encouragement to his congregation that surely was grieving like he was. Be of good cheer, my good friends, for I have felt the bottom and it is sound. Some of you might know that to be true in your own experience. The storm of suffering, affliction, and hardship comes and you've felt the bottom but you've known that it indeed is strong, that it is sweet, that it is sound. Are you building your life on this good foundation? So if you wanted to summarize what Jesus seems to be saying here in this Sermon on the Plain related to kingdom living, he seems to be saying that true disciples live a life full of fruit that is built on the good foundation of Jesus Christ. I think that's a fair summary from this section of what it means to truly follow Jesus. It's a life full of fruit that is built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. So as we begin to conclude, I just want to point out two things that are necessary for us to see as disciples of the Lord. Because again, the original audience for this sermon as it began were the 12 disciples and of course it has unique application to us today as well so first of all I want you to see the necessity of fruit for a life that claims faith in Jesus Christ the necessity of fruit for a life that claims faith in Jesus Christ you see again in verse 46 how he says well you profess faith in me Lord Lord but what good is that faith if it's not proven by its deeds we always need to make sure that we understand these categories, right? When we see the New Testament authors and the Old Testament authors exhorting true followers of the Lord to a life that's full of fruit and righteous living, it's not those fruits that are the payment that welcomes us into God's family, but those fruits are the proof that we have been welcomed into God's family only by sovereign grace, which is the best news that you and I can even hear this morning because, my friends, let us remember, if it rested on anything you or I have ever done, we would only deserve fire. We would only deserve God's wrath, punishment, and judgment. For the Bible says that we've all been born into sin. Therefore, by nature, we're children of wrath. We're dead in our transgressions. We love to do deeds of lawlessness. And that deserves God's punishment. There's nothing we can actually do to merit any favor from the Father. So what did he do? Out of love for you, out of love for me, out of love for us, he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to live the perfect life, to do everything that we were supposed to do, the fullness of spiritual fruit found in this one man, Jesus Christ. So when he died on the cross, he's the perfect atoning sacrifice for sin. He rose again three days later announcing his victory over sin, Satan, and death, has ascended to the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning, now calling out to you, come to me. Lean on what I have done so that you might begin to do unto the Father's glory. Have you turned from your sin, trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ? Come to him in faith. And if you have, leave here confident that those fruits will grow. You know, Jesus loves these horticulture metaphors. He uses it in John 15 as well, talking about the fact that he's the vine and we're the branches. So we're grafted in. He 
makes us a part of him. He who is the full, fruitful, life-giving redeemer. So you need to see the necessity of fruit for life claiming faith in Christ. And then secondly, you need to see the urgency of building your life on Christ. You need to see the urgency of building your life on Christ. Some of you might be like me and you often look at your phone throughout the course of the day and you click on the weather app so that you know what kind of forecast is on the horizon for tomorrow or later on this week. I have joked with my kids in recent weeks, the best job you could ever aspire to is to be a meteorologist because it's the only job that pays you lots of money to often be wrong. (laughs) Maybe I have the wrong weather app, but it never seems to be very on point or accurate. But you need to know, don't you, as we conclude our time, that Jesus has given us a forecast It's in shadow in verse 49, but he's given us the forecast of a storm that will come. Because yes, we've spoken of storms of affliction, hardship, or hurt, but the storm that Jesus ultimately has in mind in verse 49 is the storm of his final judgment. That each one of us will stand before the Lord at the final day when he returns to be judged for what we have done. And if you have built your life on a foundation, any other foundation than Jesus Christ, He says, it will bring great ruin upon you. So do you see the urgency of building your life on Christ? Uh, One preacher said on this text at this point, it may be tonight, or it may be 10,000 years from now, but the storm will come. And Jesus reminds us that it doesn't matter how we've propped up our house or how we fixed it up or what other people think of it. Unless that house is founded upon the rock, its fall will be stunning. So it calls to bear good fruit, to build on the good foundation. And remember, like the old hymn says, how firm a foundation, ye saints of the Lord, is laid for your faith in his excellent word. So see the necessity of fruit and see the urgency of building on this foundation. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we recognize that we are a people that bow before you even now that are weak in our faith, struggle to grow in fruits of the Spirit. But we pray that you would once again cover us with your mercy and grace, empower us by your Spirit that we might live lives that are indeed glorifying to you, that we might show who we are by what we do, that we might display that we are redeemed and ransomed, called and chosen people by a life that is so set apart in holiness and devotion to you. So help us, we pray, to grow in these things that you might be honored in our lives and even in this church together. And we ask it in Jesus' name, amen.